our leadership staff have already been able to um, share some pretty cool time with Daniel Lim. Uh, but, I mean, what can I say? This man, for the last couple of years, has been so instrumental, I think, in both me and Bethany's life. And I think more so, like, the leadership of our house of prayer and our church, just the wisdom. You guys are going to taste of some of that wisdom this morning. It's going to be extraordinary. Send our hands as he's come. Um, his name is Daniel Lim. He's the CEO of the International House of Prayer. Um, and as Daryl shared, last year when he was here with our senior team, he spent some time with us that actually was very transformative and helped set some direction and give clarity. Uh, one thing that Daryl and I say every time he comes is we gain a lot of clarity. <laughs> um, he just has a true gift of wisdom, but he's an extraordinary teacher and father in the faith. And so it's an honor to have him here with us today. We love you, Daniel. Everybody welcome. Welcome Daniel Lim to the stage. Well, why don't we pray? Wow, hot mic, hot mic. Why don't we pray um, for ourselves this morning? Um, I'm sure Daniel has already come prayed up, and I, I usually just want to ask the Lord to open my ears yes. and my eyes to his truth. So, Father, we lift up this time before you. Um, Father, we ask, God, that our ears and our eyes would be open yes. to your truth, and Lord, that you would use your servant here this morning to display your glory, and to bring forth your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Darrow and Pastor Bethany. I have great respect for your work here and your leadership over this spiritual family. Since I, in the grace of God, I get to spend one Sunday morning with you on an average a year for the last three years in the grace of God. So this is very special for me. I want to make sure in the next 45 minutes or so, I leave something behind that still bear fruits for at least the next 365 days of the year. <laughs> well, um, the title of this morning's message is actually uh, something that's burning uh, close to my heart and very, very relevant to you who have been planted, whether for a week, a month, a year, 10 years in this city. Uh, the title of the message is The Church of Jesus Christ, A Truth-Oriented community or family. The key word is truth. Let me read a few familiar verses. Uh, the, the verses that you have been so familiar because you read the Bible so many times since your youth. And, uh, but I want to ask the Lord to perhaps highlight some depths of meaning out of the same verses for you this morning. John 14 verse 6. This is something that you would be able to say it out loud in your sleep. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And then we have John chapter 4, verse 24, where the Scripture says, God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so the, word, the key word is must. It gave us an engagement with the Lord where truth is not an option. Now, this one, perhaps some of you might miss when you read the Bible, actually appears in the wedding quite a bit, but most of us don't bother to read through the whole text in the wedding. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I don't blame anyone not reading through the text in the wedding. We're so mesmerized by the bride and the bridegroom and the food that is coming. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we usually see those verses printed on a lot of the 
wedding brochure and all the nice deco. And in verse 6, it says, love rejoices in the truth. However, we face a crisis today in our society that seems to pit truth against love and love against truth. It's as if we have to make a choice that if you want to love, then perhaps you have to put truth in a secondary place because love is more passion-oriented, emotion-oriented, emotion and truth perhaps is more bendable, something that is more subjective to the perceiver or the experience of the person of the time, whereas love or the emotion of the person has almost been uh, crowned into an absolute place. It's as if that our emotion is now far more reliable than the nature of truth. Now, the reason why this is so relevant to this city is because this is the city of the intellectuals, the cities of education, ed, uh, educators. You know, what flows out from this city influences the thought process and the thinking of uh, many, many different fields across the nations of the earth. And most of us know that in the Western civilization, the reason the last 500 years, the Western civilization has not, has not always been the most forefront or advanced in terms of thousands of years of human, human civilization. The Far East was very advanced and the, the, the Near Eastern, Middle East, uh, Mediterranean region was very advanced where the Northern European and Western European were basically went ahead in the last 500 years. And one of the key uh, influencers, I think, there are many influential factors, is the fact that there is a culture that fosters truth, the seeking of truth the culture that allows the best idea to flourish, the culture that, that's not afraid to uh, discuss, explore, question, critic, you know, all kinds of things from every angle because the assumption is this, that truth is not threatened by our scrutiny. Truth is never afraid to be questioned by any form of scrutiny because truth, if it's really the truth, then it will stand all kinds of tests. You can put it through fire, crank up the temperature, lower the temperature, do all kinds of things to truth. It will, if it's truth, it will still stay as that nature of truth. Obviously, uh, for those of us who are interfacing with truth, there are two generalized, I would use more layman term, generalized interaction with truth. One is perceived truth, which means the relationship between the person who experiences and per per the perceiver and that reality. And the other one is, I would call it, intrinsic nature of the truth, which means that the truth itself, whether you observe it or not, whether you interact with it or not, it is there. Now, so when Jesus came along in John chapter 14, He was preparing to actually depart in His bodily form from them. This is the upper room discourse. He just washed His disciples' feet in John 13, and in John 14, he began to announce the better news. He has been announcing the good news, but this is now an upgrade and the better news. He's saying that, you know what? Our relationship is not going to be temporary. Our relationship is actually never going to end. In fact, I am going away. And in my father's house, in my father's mansion, it's a very, very big house. If you read Revelation chapter 21, you will know how big it is. It's called the New Jerusalem. It is humongous beyond measure. 
you know. And so, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I go there to prepare those rooms for you. And when it's ready, I will return to get you. And then the disciple was a little caught up by this mysterious, enigmatic conversation. And they began to ask, well, where are you going? How shall we get there? What's the way? Like, they want to know the address and the GPS, you know, the Google map and whatever to get there, right? Because they, they want to get to the house. They want to be with Jesus. They were a little sad. Their good friend is going away. They're so used to him for the last three years. You know, they literally hang out together day and night, everywhere. It was amazing. But now Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And, and the disciple began to ask, show us the way. And Jesus answered, very, very succinctly, three key truths. I am the way. In other words, it's not a compass. It's not a pathway. I am. The way is a person. The truth is a person. I am the embodiment of truth. And I am life. So Jesus point to the, the people that if you want these three things, way, life, and truth, all you need to do is keep your relationship with me, abide in me in an intimate way. So, this is easier said than done. I'm going to read to you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. This is the key text for this morning. I'm going to read that to you. In the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, he says, Since you have purified your soul in obeying the truth, there is a relationship between the state of who who we are in our relationship with Jesus and the way we engage with the truth. In fact, the more we align ourselves with the truth, the more purified our soul is. We enter into this sanctification process by the Holy Spirit. The next two phrases is so gracious. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. We have to have the component of the life in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower us because it is not automatic, it is not easy to embrace the truth, to believe the truth, to walk out the truth, to proclaim the truth. And I will tell you the four main forces that we all face on a regular basis and will be increasing as the day of the Lord approaches, these four forces are working against God's family and God's people, no matter what geographical location is. Some places is more intense, some places are less intense, but we all face these four forces that cause it not to be so straightforward to have a healthy relationship with truth. Even though sometimes truth is self-evidence. How many of you have encountered a time when you know that's true, but I can't say it? Why can't we say it? Because we're afraid. I mean, it's true. Yeah, I mean, there are consequences in saying something that's true sometimes. So that is one example, fear. You know, intimidation, fear is a very powerful force for, to, that prevents people from even not only acknowledging the truth and embracing the truth, sometimes even dare to think about the truth. You become a prisoner of your own conscience. And that is scary. 
And so, now I say that this is not a localized reality anywhere. This is just the prevailing forces that's at work. But the Bible gave, warned us ahead of time so that we can be prepared to dismantle when we war against those forces so that we are not ignorant when those forces hit us. We think that it's us, but we are warring against something that we cannot see. It's not just mean people or mean culture or anything at all. There are forces at work that is influencing people of every generation. I'm jumping ahead. I'll come back to the four points, forces that oppose us. But I want to break down 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 in more detail. It says this, You purify your souls by obeying the truth. It is not sufficient for us to know the truth. In fact, actually, I find it to be actually more dangerous to know the truth and then not practice the truth. Because it creates two kinds of illusion to the person. The first one is this, the person who understands the truth and knows the truth thinks, thinks that he, is, he or she is aligned with the truth. Knowing, be able to quote, be able to cite the truth, be able to uh, even teach the truth, does not guarantee that we are living in the truth. There is a gap. And we all face that. That's why sometimes we have good intention, but we have bad action. It's like, it's not like we want to do bad, we think good, but it came out, it was, there's a gap, you know. It's, yeah, we all face that kind of situation. So, I am not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, kind of, you know. So, I hope that you will just join me in the same boat because we're all fellow human beings on a journey. So, and I, am, I understand the peril of that reality, especially of the teacher of the Word of God, because sometimes I am tempted to prepare the messages for my audience so that I can give a very powerful, polished presentation on Sunday morning in a conference to a group of people that will eventually, at the end, come to the conclusion, this guy knows stuff. <laughs> but that adds zero value to who I am. The fact that I know stuff. In fact, I am in danger of pride. I'm in danger of losing discernment because the fact that I know stuff doesn't mean I'm living the stuff. So that is the first danger of just knowing the truth without obeying the truth. And second danger is simply this. For example, me, after I study a certain topic which I believe to be the truth, and after I teach them systematically, and I, let's say I teach it consistently for five years, now I assume that I am an expert in that area of truth. But the truth is, I am only as an, a, an expert in that area of that truth as much as I actually embody that truth. This is not how eloquent I could repeat and teach others on the subject matter, but how my soul is aligned and purified by that truth. You know, I, do, I did some reflection recently. Uh, you know, I am, some of you here are really technical, so don't, don't fault me for being inaccurate. I have a boy that is very accurate, always correct me for being 
slightly not so accurate and precise. So, I am going to be quite generalized. Let me put a disclaimer first. But I was thinking, okay, I'm a human being and I'm in relation to my environment, my cosmos, all these things that's around me. And I do understand that this human being here is pieced together by smaller things. I think we call that the cells, right? And within the cells, there are smaller, smaller things. I think we call that the atoms, right? And then if you go further, there are still more mysterious things, the, 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 the particles that will come out with new names all the time, right? <laughs> the subatomic particles. And then you try to go even smaller, then it's getting more spooky, right? Einstein called that spooky action, okay? So, no, it's getting spookier and spookier. But the point is this, the smaller you go, you realize that everything is made up of almost the same fundamental things, whether you are a dog or a cat or, or, or an immaterial, non-living thing. They are all like those things. I don't know what to call them, but those things. Those little, little things that pop in and out of existence, you know? And they, they just, you know, scientists is trying to really describe them. Sometimes they exist, sometimes they don't. You know, there's mathematical formula that you can predict them. That's why we can play with them, right? So, this is a city that play with those stuff, right? So, I mean, you speak in languages that normal people don't talk. That's why I understand. You have separate languages here. So, the point is this. Those little things, we are all, if we are all made up of those little, little things, then we're all connected by those little, little things with little, little mechanics inside there. So, in other words, we are actually all related in that way, whether to that little speaker, I'm related to you, okay? <laughs> Fundamentally, at the most basic level, I, I don't feel related to that, that little speaker there, but, you know, in terms of the way we are all wired together, that if there is truly an embodiment of truth, a reality, then alignment to that reality is very important because we are designed and wired in a certain way. Now, however, it, it is true that Perceived truth can be suppressed. In fact, Paul says in Rome, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says that the people who actually perceive the truth, their self-evidence, decided willfully to suppress the truth. It can be done if you do it forcefully enough. You can actually twist the truth. You can suppress the truth. You can omit the truth. You can do so many things to the truth. It doesn't change the nature of that truth but it changed the relationship between the perceiver and that truth. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot just be a passionate, loving community that's detached from this truth. Because, the, because love and truth cannot be decoupled from one another. Love rejoices in the truth. And Jesus say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am life. If we cannot say, I choose Jesus, and then I decouple it from the truth. And what then is the truth? Obviously, everybody claims to have their version of the truth. So let's read on in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren. So therefore, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 
Now, there are two key words here. He said, if you align yourself with the truth, your souls will be purified. In other words, your heart is getting purer. Now you have the capacity to walk out a loving community. These things are so connected. If you try to do loving community apart from truth, that thing will fall apart non-sustainable because the axis is out of alignment. So at the same time, if you try to do truth devoid from love, that thing also cannot go on very long because it will be so stoic and we are not just merely truth machine. We're made for love. So, but we are not forced to choose between the two. In fact, they are the same reality and they need to stay together. Verse 23, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but the incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and endures forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as flower of the grass. The grass withered, its flower falls away, but the word of God endureth forever. Now, he's talking about a, a, an enduring, an enduring truth of God's word compared to all that we can think of as the temporary glory that we can uh, attain in this world. And those are just like mere grass. And even the flowers that's supposed to be more esteemed than the weeds and the grass, they are still considered vain in context with the enduring eternal Word of God. Finally, in verse 25, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Now, this is a final declaration that the gospel that we receive from Jesus Christ is based on this enduring word where heaven and earth will fade, but His word will remain. In other words, the word of God that framed the heaven and the earth will transcend this created order. It will go beyond this created order. So, I want to now begin to address the four challenges. They are found in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24. Both of these are account of the Oliver Discourse. Oliver Discourse is basically Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the upper room and then he gave them this teaching from John 14 all the way to John 17. In John 17, he prayed for them and then they adjourned from the upper room in Jerusalem. They walked across to the little hill up on the eastern side of Jerusalem where there, is, there are some uh, olive groves, very, very ancient olive groves, and they came out there in the night before Jesus was betrayed and the people took him away. And in that place, he prayed and his, his sweat became blood. You know, he, he wrestled for the last time about facing the cross and he prevailed and he resolute in his spirit that he would go to the cross. That is the Oliver Discourse. And when they were on their way up, Looking back to Jerusalem from the hill slope of the Mount Olive, the disciple and Jesus began to have a dialogue and Jesus said, look at this glorious temple in the city. Not one stone will be left on another, prophesying about the future destruction of Jerusalem. 
And so that's the Oliver Discourse. Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24, both are part of the Oliver Discourse. Now, these four challenges were found in the Oliver Discourse. Number one is fear. Fear is a very powerful force that causes us to misalign with the truth. The first one. Second one is the occult. The, 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 the sorcery, the divination, the work of the evil spirit, the false signs and wonders and miracles that if you, you have to believe in the supernatural because the Bible is full of the supernatural. I mean, counterfeit miracles and all kinds of things. You know, so, so the occult or the, the operation of demons and the evil spirit can truncate and twist the perception of truth for the perceiver. There's a second challenge. Uh, in Matthew 24, it talks about signs and wonders that are possible to deceive even the elect. Number, four, number three is actually lust. Lust or sexual immorality or any of these vile passion actually sometimes causes us to act very irrationally. Now, we know we ought not to do certain things, but we did it anyway because our passion drives us so we override what is logical and do something that is foolish that we might regret for the rest of our life. Or maybe for a while we won't regret because we were deceived at that period of time and then we wake up a few years later and say, what did I do? Okay, so, so the, the last is a very powerful force that causes us to be misaligned with the truth. And last one is deception. Deception could be from the evil, evil spirit or the realm of the demonic, or it can be actually manufactured by human beings. Smart people can engineer deception in such a way that you look like everything looks real. So, this four reality, I summarize it with the acronym F-O-L-D. What does it say? Fold. It's designed to make you fold, and you shall not fold. You shall stand on the truth of God's word. Amen? But these four arch enemy of truth, fear, occult, lust, deception, they are very real. And I look at most of you, you are in your young adult years, if you undergird yourself in your, the days of your youth to prepare yourself to go to war with these four realities, we might be able to live a life of overcoming and have a legacy and begin to disciple the generation to have tools to recognize the force, these four forces and begin to continually align ourselves to the truth of God's Word and who Jesus is. So fear, what does fear do? Fear causes us to be afraid to think about the truth, to acknowledge the truth, to embrace the truth, or to talk about the truth. We are already experiencing that day to day in different levels at different areas because of the fear of consequences. I mean, it's the same thing. People lie sometimes. Let's not talk about big issue. Let's talk about domestic issue. You come home and your little kid did something really bad. He knows spanking or consequence is coming. Timeout is coming. So he come with that baby nice looking face and he say a big, big fat lie, okay? And then you say, well, you lie, I'm going to punish you more. Ba, 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 ba. I say the first, second lie to cover my first lie so I can avoid the consequence. Then you have to say the third lie to cover the second lie to cover the first lie. 
to avoid the consequence. Why is the person keep lying? It's because the person is afraid of the consequence, right? So the, this is very common. It happens all the time at different level in our life experience from little kid to adults. So we begin to not align ourselves with truth because of fear. And if in any time in a culture or in a spiritual environment, someone or a forces, spiritual or natural, is successful in intimidating a group of people or an individual to the point that the person will self-censor. Self-censor means, I know this is true, no, I'm going to modify it, but when it comes out, it will be something else that's acceptable. If the culture can do that in a consistent basis, then over time, it is profoundly detrimental to the entire group of people. And the Church of Jesus Christ cannot afford that. I'm not talking about the larger culture. I am talking about a local community of believers. You need to have a vibrant, robust culture within the family of God to have the ability for people to have liberty to actually explore a certain thought that's aligned with the truth and not self-censor, and then develop that bonus to be messenger. Proclamation is the last step. The dare to believe and the dare to think is the beginning. Well, most of us have not lived in a society where daring to think is even something that, oh, yes, sorry, yes, I forgot translation. Thank you very much. I've got a red card now. In, in soccer matches, red card means stab aside, okay? But I'll, I'll treat that as a yellow one. Yes. Maybe we change that to a yellow one. Red is scary. I am now afraid and intimidated. Okay, so what I, what I was trying to say is this. Most of us in the Western world have not experienced that level of intimidation where you are afraid to think freedom of conscience. But in many parts of the world, actually, that is a privilege. People actually grow up being systematically oppressed to the point where they don't even dare to think certain thoughts. It's unthinkable to go, go down. So they haven't even said it. They haven't even acted it out. It's just playing in their brain and they're afraid. If, the, if, the, if, if there is an environment of which the oppression is that of that level, then you know you need to break through because that thing is horrible. So, fear is the first force against truth. Second one is the occult. What does the occult do? The occult blinds us from the ability to perceive the truth. It, it's, it's like a, a foggy filter. The truth is right there. You just can't get it. Either they, the occult messed up your receptor. Receptor means the condition of the heart of the person who is influenced by the evil spirit. For example, the person is no longer on a sound mind or the person is in addiction. When the person is in addiction, it's some kind of habit, they cannot think straight. So the truth is right there, but you cannot get to the truth because the occult, the evil spirit and the demon mess with the receptor the person who is interacting with the truth. So when you come into either an individual or an environment like this, 
when you clear the air or you clear the spiritual realm, suddenly some people say, how come I didn't see that before? You know, it, I would say, how many of you watch this uh, superhero movie called Wonder Woman? Only very few, yeah? Okay. I don't know. I'm in the age where we do superheroes movie, okay? <laughs> Not my age. I've got kids, so yeah. <laughs> Super, I, there was one upon a time was any, every Disney animation was my diet and then, you know, almost every. Yeah, so... So Wonder Woman, and the last part, the, the lady, the superhero lady was fighting against a, this Greek god called Arius, the god of war. And, you know, when suddenly when she was under the assumption, her theology is such that if I kill Arius, World War I will be over, right? So, so she killed a general, and then the war is not over. She said, I thought if I kill the god of war, the, the, everybody's brain will wake up, right? So finally, he, she fought with Arius, and then she killed that Greek god, and then everybody started hugging one another. That was so strange. Okay, so I'm not commenting on how good the movie is. I'm trying to use this picture as, you know, when you clear the spiritual realm, the same human being is there, but they see it differently. Okay, so the truth is always there, but you can't get there because the, the environment and the spiritual dimension is blocking it. That's what... So it's different from the first one. The first one is to intimidate you. Even though you know it's there, you dare not touch it. You can touch it, but you don't have the courage to go there. That's the, the effect of fear. The second one is the truth is there. You cannot get there. Something is blocking you. You can't even see it. It's right in front of you. You can't see it. Because the occult, the evil spirit, move in such a way to influence you, to mess you up in a way that you cannot get there. The third one is last. Now, this one is strange. It is there, you see it, you agree with it, but then somehow there is another drive within you called vile passion that overrides everything and you do everything you don't want to do. Okay? So, and then you know there will be consequence, but at that moment of time, it's as if there's short-circuit reality going through you that's running really fast. And then, you know, whether it's overspending, you know, or sexual immorality or anything like that, you just went and did it. And then you have to face the consequence of what you do. And so, that is the effect of the lust. Lust is uncontrollable passion that put the flesh ahead of love. Ahead of the spirit is the satisfaction of the me now. Now, I want it now. I want it the, my way now, now. Even though you can see that it's not right, it's not the truth, you proceed to do it. The fourth one is deception. Now, that is different from the occult. Deception is this. It's not the problem with the perceiver. It's the problem with the truth. The truth is now twisted to the point where you can see it, but you're not seeing the real thing. You're saying the fake thing, the, the modified thing, the twisted thing. So the receptor is really objective, is studying all the things, and, but then the truth that, that, is, that, that re, the person is, is interacting with has been uh, messed around with, has been changed, has been twisted. So even though there's little filter in between, but you're not interacting with the, the real deal. So that's what deception does. It, it packages it, it, it cloaks it, it, it twists it in that process. Now, do we 
often just face one of these forces at one time? No, it's actually it's a mixture of forces. It's not like, okay, today I'm facing fear, I'm not facing lust, tomorrow I'm facing deception, I'm not facing the occult. Unfortunately, they don't choose to show up one after another, they show up when they show up. And they show up in all different kind of combination. But be of good cheer. John chapter 15, the scripture tells us, abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. And when Jesus say abide in Christ, he's saying abide in the truth. When he say worship me, he say worship me in spirit and in truth. When he say you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying love me with truth, love others with truth. That's why he say you must speak the truth in love. You cannot claim to love if you suppress the truth or you twist the truth. They are not separated. No, obviously I am not saying blare out every information at any time. There's indiscreet handling of information. That's not about like the truth. You know, there's always discernment in sharing the right portion out of love to the right people at the right time that bring edification to people. When, you know, in this, this generation, we talk about vulnerability and transparency. Indiscreet vulnerability and transparency is disaster, honestly. But to be authentic is honorable, which means sometimes you actually tell people it's not time, I can't talk about it with you yet. I know it, but I can't. I'm under oath, or you know, like I promised somebody to keep the secret. That's been real, right? You're not blaring. Can you imagine like everything somebody asks you, you blare everything? Nobody trusts you with anything. That's the, your friendship circle will shrink. You have a reputation in town. You're Mr. Transparency, yeah. Which means you're also Mr. or Miss Gossip Center International. Nobody will trust you with anything. I mean, that is not fun, right? I mean, we're not talking about that. We all know this common sense. So, what are we saying here this morning? I believe that more than ever before, the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in the West, need to rediscover our connection, our centrality with love and truth together. Not either love or either truth. And love and truth together, they were never meant to be apart. So, just like we sang songs on Sunday morning, and we sang it passionately to love the Lord, but the content of what we sing has to be true. If we're singing all these emotional verses that is not aligned with truth, then, I mean, it's nice feeling, but we miss the mark. I'm not commenting on this morning's song. I'm just saying an example, okay? I'm not, I wasn't even analyzing the lyrics this morning. I was just gone worshiping the Lord. But it is true. I have a friend, you know, yeah, I, I don't know whether he's allowed me to say that in public, but he actually uh, was asked, this is actually a very cool story. There was three senior leaders of a very, very influential worship movement from if I say the name, you would know it's a household name. Worship movement. A lot of people sing their song, okay? Then, but don't imagine who I'm talking about, okay? Just, but it's a real story, okay? That, so these three men, they were very noble. They say that if you, their question is this, if you have been given the influence over a nation, how do you keep that influence? Who can teach us to keep 
an influence because the nation is singing our song and we are influencing their heart. So they prayed and they took a prophetic journey. They followed the Holy Spirit. They're supposed to meet somebody who can teach them how to keep their influence in the nation. So they bump onto this friend of mine. This friend of mine had a, not terminal disease, but a chronic illness that caused uh, him to be on the bed for maybe 12 months, like maybe confined to a room, not exactly on the bed for 12 months, but confined to a room. So he read 400 books during that time. But because he cannot move around, he has to keep his brain occupied, right? So he read 400 books in one year and he began to have some insight over some things that the Holy Spirit is telling him. So, so God prepared this man and God prepared these three men and then they have a divine encounter un, unplanned somewhere in, in a certain location and it's these three leaders of the church begin to recognize this might be the person we're supposed to meet even though we do not know him. So they begin to ask him a question. He say, okay, I think you're the man with the insight for us. Would you tell us what we need to do in order to keep our influence in the nation? You know we have influence. We want the godly principle to be able to be sustainable. Tell us, give us advice, give us your wisdom. And he say, he say to them, well, you know, your songs are sang all around the world. Everybody jump and sing and, you know, using your songs. It's a household. In every local church, your songs have been sang. But you know what? You are making the believers perpetually an infant. The three leaders were like, what? Yeah, you study your song and the words of your song. Nobody grow up in those songs. They stay baby forever. Whoa, I say, well, my friend, thank you very much. You have courage. Now, that, that person lost his fear at that point, okay? Well, man, to say those words was tough, man. You talk to like an influential movement on the earth and tell them that the songs keep people as baby forever. So, now these three men, to their credits, were very humble. They said, this is awakening moment. Call our head musician, worship leader, choir director, call everybody. And they pulled their, their album that was slot to, to, to be released. And they studied all the lyrics. And they say, we must only write God-centered song. You know, like, you know, so the next album was severely modified. So, why did I bring this up? Because, you know, we sing the song of the Lord passionately. It's out of our love, but it must be aligned with truth. It is not neutral. The effect is, is catalytic in nature. If we continue to align ourselves with truth, we will mature. Our souls will be purified. We'll be more like Jesus. We will find ourselves growing in courage because we are becoming friends with truth and truth go, actually dwells with us. We dwell with truth. So actually when we're out of alignment with truth, we feel very uncomfortable. In fact, you want to puke sometime when something that's untrue comes through you. You're like, come on, man, get back to truth. You know, so, but how you communicate truth how you do this and that depends on the principle of love at each moment, in each case, when you communicate them, when you walk it out. So what are we doing this morning? I want to pray with you. I don't have a very long message, but it is very clear that God wants me to challenge all of us that the Church of Jesus Christ must be a truth-oriented family. 
as much as is rooted and grounded in His love. And I want to pray for courage this morning. More than ever before, it seems so fundamental, it seems so simple, but in this day and age, to have the courage not to self-censor in our brain, just dare to believe, dare to embrace, dare to align, is a powerful start. You know, and uh, I believe that if we align ourselves at that level, the other three that we have to battle in, we will have the strength to overcome. The courage is the beginning steps. So I want to just take this time to pray with you. I know the time is, my sermon is not long, and I didn't plan for it to have a long sermon, but I want to spend some time ministering to you. So if the worship team could come, we all close our eyes. We want to respond to God's word.